Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. As you know, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, we are very committed to unity in the church. Another word for that, especially when it comes to the dialogue between the two lungs of the church, east and west, that word would be ecumenism. Recently, we came across a study that said that ecumenism is not such an important topic to many or most Catholics and Orthodox faithful. Now, that's an interesting question because it certainly is an important issue, one of the most important issues certainly important on many levels of the church. But the fact that it's not important, at least statistically, to the rank and file, could actually be positive in its explanation. At least I would like to propose that as a theory. It could be that many Catholic and Orthodox Christians are not that interested in preserving the disunity. That for many, and I find this to be true actually, when you talk to many people on the rank and file levels, that they wonder, why are we even apart? What is this disunity about? We get along fine. Why are we apart? Well, we're all called to do something about this great scandal. And it is. It's a scandal. The body of Christ torn in two. The church must breathe with both lungs, as St. John Paul II would remind us. So we have to do something about it. We have to care, and we have to do something about it. And there is someone who has done a lot about it over the years and has done something recently that he's going to tell us about. I'd like to welcome once again to Light of the East our good friend, Jack Fiegel from Eastern Christian Publications and Orientali Lumen Conferences and Pilgrimages. Jack Fiegel, glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. Glory forever, Father Tom. Great to be with you again. Well, let's start off with, you heard my opening. Let's start off with this issue of ecumenism, just among the faithful. What do you think about my perspective? Kind of a, a backhanded explanation of what might seem to be a negative that actually could be a sign of a positive. Yes, I, I agree with your kind of uh, notion that, you know, perhaps the lack of interest uh, stems from the fact that it's become so happenstance or that people aren't even aware 
that we're separated and can't receive communion in each other's churches, but that, you know, meetings between popes and patriarchs have become so commonplace that it's almost like the moon launches. They became so commonplace that no one paid attention to them anymore. Yes, even though they still are great events. You know, know, the outer space, the moon launches are still each one a great event, but they become almost, just say, commonplace. And same thing with this. Now, on these levels under which these leaders meet, you have a lot to do with that. You've been involved with that a lot, especially recently in your most recent Orient Time Illumin conference. So tell us about that, because it seemed like a lot of really, really good things were happening there. Yes, uh, the 21st annual conference, so we've been doing them 21 years now, uh, was held just recently in Washington, D.C., and we had as our theme, Kieti and Crete, two historical events. Kieti was the name of the city in Italy, where there was in a recent uh, agreed statement at the highest levels of dialogue, the international dialogue of Catholic and Orthodox churches, last September of 2016. And uh, Crete was the Holy and Great Council of the Orthodox Church that had been in the planning stages for some 50 years and had not occurred uh, in terms of a gathering of, of all the patriarchs for almost a millennium, in fact. So uh, two very historic events uh, took place last last year, and so we reflected on them with some of the top um, theologians and ecumenists in in really the world. We were very, very honored to to have them come and address uh, our group, which is made up of lay people, parish clergy, theologians, ecumenists from across the country, and um, and, uh, speak to these two topics, these two uh, meetings. draw some parallels, draw some distinctions, and then have a very uh, interesting roundtable discussion amongst themselves as well as uh, uh, with uh, the attendees who came to the event. We were very blessed that our uh, one of the keynote plenary speakers was Archbishop Job of Telmesos, who is the co-chair for the Orthodox side of the international dialogue, the official dialogue between the two churches. Uh, he just took over last summer after Metropolitan John of Pergamon, John Zazulis, retired, and Metropolitan uh, Archbishop Grove, rather, is the co-chair. The other very important uh, speaker we had uh, was a Father Iassant, or Hyacinth, uh, as he, he pronounces it in French, Iassant uh, Desteville, from the office in the Vatican of the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity. He was officially representing Cardinal Kurt Koch, who is the Catholic co-chair of the dialogue. The two of them, along with a professor from Catholic University, uh, Monsignor Paul McPartland, who was a speaker. Uh, we had a professor from Holy Cross Seminary in uh, Boston, uh, Father Thomas Fitzgerald, who's been involved in ecumenical dialogues for some 20 or 30 years. Uh, we had a layman, Mr. Michael Haldus, from here uh, locally at Greek Orthodox Church in, in Washington, who's written a book on sacramental living and teaches regularly and has podcasts and things on Orthodox Christian Network and Ancient Faith Radio. And we had greetings and lectures that I video recorded of Metropolitan Callistos from Oxford University, a longtime supporter and participant in our conferences, but his health has gotten to the point where he cannot cross the Atlantic any longer, but he agreed to do a video presentation for us. So we had very significant speakers speaking and talking about these two events, but the discussion even uh, went further into where we have come in 50 years since Vatican II uh, and the lifting of the anathemas that were imposed on the churches back in the year 1054, the so-called major schism between East and West, 
And the participants, you know, participated through the discussions. We had prayer services, and it was just a, a very, very interesting and exciting time to, to be together. What were some of the significant points of some of these presentations? Well, um, Metropolitan Callistos talked about the Council of Crete as not achieving a lot of new sorts of things, but that just the fact that it occurred was a major positive event. Uh, and that the Kieti statement, he talked about that it was a major breakthrough in his mind because it allows for the Catholics to accept the first millennium, along with the Orthodox, of the role of the Bishop of Rome. So the KT agreed statement was all about what the Bishop of Rome did or did not do during the first millennium when we were together. And the reason why this is significant is because the papacy did grow in response to the particular situations, the, the history, the socioeconomic factors, the culture of the Western lung of the Church over the centuries. And in the Eastern mind, well, they didn't have the exact same situations. They had their own situations, which profoundly influenced their development as well, but they didn't have those particular ones. And so in the West, there was, in a sense, there was a kind of a need or a, a call or a maybe even a, a default or whatever you want to say, <laughs> however you want to describe it, towards the level which the papacy has reached in the second millennium. Now, whether that's good or not so good or needs to be modified or looked at or whatever, that's not for us to judge, but that is certainly one of the things that is being looked at. In other words, the papacy, in terms of its historical development, especially in the last millennium, this is very significant for the Orthodox because, like you were saying, Jack, they they did not have this history, the same history, in this last millennium. So to go back for, to the time of history when we were together, uh, before some of these circumstances of history developed uh, in each side, respectively, is very significant in terms of coming together on this issue, which is really the issue that, in a sense, still divides East and West, correct? The, the issue of the universal jurisdiction of the Pope. In other words, how, how much authority— how much jurisdiction does he actually have? That That's really the, the burning issue, wouldn't you say, the divisive oh, yes, issue? yes, absolutely. It's, it's the issue that everyone says, if we could resolve this, the other ones are, are small and could be easily, easily resolved. And in fact, many of them have been, uh, if you talk to some of the theologians. But the significant thing that came out of the Kieti Agreed Statement, which is available online through the Vatican website, as well as some others, and we just published it in a collection of documents as well from Eastern Christian Publications, um, is that the uh, agreed statement that was signed off by both Catholics and Orthodox across the board. In fact, there were more Orthodox present at the KAT meeting in terms of representation than there were at the Council of Crete. There were hmm. all, all 13 <laughs> of the 14 all the cephalous churches were in KAT, and only 10 were at Crete. But the KAT agreed statement uh, talks about the role of the Bishop of Rome in terms of pastoral concern for the entire church, and he had certain authority, but in the first millennium, he did not ex exercise any direct jurisdiction. Yes. So he was sort of like a, a, a judge of last appeal when there were disputes, mm -hmm. and that it was his job to keep the brethren together in terms of unity, and that he did not have some of the things that developed in the second millennium with regard to jurisdictional issues and intervening in, in the Eastern churches. The Eastern churches also agreed that in the first millennium, the, the Bishop of Rome was the first. He was the primus. He mm -hmm. is the leader of the Church of Christ in a you know, united world. 
uh, and that there is a universal primacy that the Bishop of Rome exercises. It's how that primacy gets exercised now in the third millennium, which is where the dialogue hopefully is going to go uh, using the first millennium as the basis. Those are some great, great strides forward, some great agreements, great points of meeting. It's kind of odd, though, Jack, isn't it, or sad, that it's taken a thousand years to come to those points? <laughs> well, yes, and, and they, there have been many attempts, as you and I, you know, well-known, our own church is one of them, as bringing East to West together in the Union of Ujrad and uh, Council of Florence and other attempts have been attempted, you know, other 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 meetings. Uh, but now it seems that the polemics of the past and the arguments that have gone on are uh, now, you know, distant memories, and that meetings such as our Oriental Lumen Conference that, you know, are taking place on a regular basis around the world, and as well as at the top levels, are becoming much, much more commonplace. Before we go to break, let everybody know, where can they get your information? Well, we have a website called olfoundation.net, where more information about past conferences and all of these sorts of things, as well as recordings of all of the plenary sessions and the liturgies and prayer services we had, both in CD and DVD form, uh, are available at that website. So that's olfoundation.net. I am Father Thomas Loya here with Jack Figler, our guest on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. Once again, we're proud and honored to have one of our special guests that's on from time to time here, a man who's doing so much for the sake of ecumenism, of unity between East and West, which is what this program is all about, Mr. Jack Fingal. Jack, in addition to the Oriental Lumen Conferences and all the, the great things that were said by the speakers and just the gathering of those people, there were some interesting spin-offs in that as well that I think are very significant ecumenically. Yes, we had uh, quite an exciting, especially first day, um, the opening session. First of all, we, we invite every year, but this year he did come, and that was the papal nuncio, the Vatican ambassador to the United States, Archbishop Christophe Pierre, came to our opening prayer service, um, 11 to the Holy Spirit, that we always start our conferences with. He attended the entire opening session and uh, had a short statement that he read congratulating us on our 21st anniversary and conveying his best wishes to all of us, uh, sorts of things that a, a nuncio does. And then he, he, he surprisingly stayed for uh, quite a while into the reception afterwards and was chatting with people and, and uh, just seemed to you know enjoy being with us. And in his remarks, he admitted he was somewhat ignorant of our group, and he was very pleased to hear that we were meeting on a regular basis. So uh, we, we got to know him quite well, and I gave him a book or two as a gift uh, and thanked him for coming. But in addition to him, we also had Archbishop Job of Telmesos, who was one of our speakers, the Orthodox co-chair, came just the week or two before from Istanbul, where he had seen 
his All Holiness Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew and brought with him a letter of greeting from Patriarch Bartholomew for our conference in which he writes at the opening, it is with feelings of appreciation and joy that we learned of the upcoming 21st Oriental Illumin Conference. Uh, and he goes on to talk about the two topics uh, of the conference, the Great and Holy Council and the Kieti. Uh, and uh, uh, then he uh, wraps up his letter uh, with convinced that the presentations and reflections that we've made at your conference will be enlightening for a larger number of Christians, helping them to grasp the importance of these two events for the rapprochement between Christians. We greet all the participants and invoke upon you all the blessing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that was signed by his All Holiness on the 9th of June and conveyed to us through Archbishop Job. We also got a similar letter from the Catholic co-chair of the International Dialogue, Cardinal Kurt Koch in Rome, and his opening letter says, uh, It is with a closeness of heart and mind that I convey my greetings to you personally and to all the distinguished participants of the 21st Oriental Lumen Conference. Since their beginning, these conferences have aimed at bringing Christians of East and West, Catholic and Orthodox, close together, reflecting on common challenges. It gives me particular joy that these meetings, which gather eminent scholars, are not purely academic events, but in a climate of fraternal love and prayer, also enable many faithful to participate in the reflection with a view to rapprochement between our churches. So Patriarch Bartholomew and Cardinal Koch both sent us personal greetings that we read at the opening session. And then during the week, uh, we arranged for a number of prayer services, one the Eucharistic liturgy that Archbishop Job celebrated in St. Nicholas Orthodox Cathedral in Washington, but then other prayer services where we all can participate from 11 to the Holy Spirit. We uh, had Vespers a couple of nights, Akathis to the Mother of God, and on the the second morning, we had matins of the Byzantine Rite, uh, which we at Eastern Catholics and the Orthodox share, and we scheduled the service to take place next door to the retreat house where we had our plenary meetings in the St. John Paul II Shrine, hmm. which was recently converted from the Cultural Center to a shrine by the Knights of Columbus, and they did a marvelous job with renovating the building. But in the shrine is a small chapel in which there is a relic, a piece of bone of St. John Paul. Hmm. And we asked the Archbishop if he would like to serve matins there, and he agreed. So we had matins uh, with an Orthodox deacon and an Orthodox Archbishop serving in the shrine of St. John Paul in front of the relic of St. John Paul. Hmm. It was, it was, you know, given St. John Paul's commitment to East-West ecumenism uh, and his concern for, as your show is named, and our conferences are named, the Light of the East, Yes, uh, that the entire Catholic Church should learn about the Eastern Churches. It was particularly a blessing to have an Orthodox Archbishop have matins in the shrine with his relic present. Well, Jack, those are things that when you and I, I mean, we're not old, right, Jack? But when we were, even in our lifetime as children, certainly, this kind of thing would be unthinkable. It was impossible. Yeah, well, in fact... Um, uh, Father Thomas Fitzgerald, in his uh, remarks at the closing session, in fact quoted and said exactly that. He said that our meeting together would not have even been possible for our parents. Yes, yeah, that's right. Just for our parents, exactly. And so in one generation now, we have moved from not even speaking to each other to having 
you know, not concelebrated prayer, but that we can pray together, we can yes. have fellowship, we can study and learn together from each other. Uh, and uh, in fact, Father Fitzgerald at the, the last plenary session was a wonderful reflection on 50 years of ecumenical dialogue since Vatican II at the international level as well as here in North America. And uh, his, his, his paper was essentially how far we have come in 50 years and what the future holds for us. Jack, rumor has it that when the apostolic nuncio said to you, uh, I wasn't familiar with your group, you responded, oh, that's okay, Your Excellency. The Holy Father is very familiar with us. <laughs> well, I did not quite say that. It, it was a mixed crowd, but Archbishop Job did tell me that uh, this week, of course, we're recording here at the end of June, that when he attends the celebration of Saints Peter and Paul in Rome on June 29th, he will in fact be the lead of the Orthodox delegation and will talk to the Holy Father, Pope Francis, about his participation in Oriental Illumin Conference. So, oh my goodness. Uh, we we wow. will be a subject, I'm sure, at the luncheon table when they when they get together. As well you should be, because your efforts, Jack, I can say this because you're a humble man, so I'll say it for you for all the audience to to know, and they must know this. Certainly your efforts, and here you are, a layman, your efforts are among the most effective and I think consequential efforts in ecumenism that are going on to this day. I really believe that. Well, thank you, Father. I appreciate you saying that. And for people to find out more, again, where can they go? The website is olfoundation.net, which means, of course, Oriental Illumin, the name of the apostolic letter that we take a lot of inspiration from. So olfoundation.net for information about future conferences. We'll have another one, OL22, next year in June here in Washington, and pilgrimages that we lead. We've been to Rome twice in the last couple of years, and Slovakia and Hungary. So we, we uh, have a lot of activity going on, as well as videos, lectures, and all sorts of things available at olfoundation.net. And this is where people can get uh, the videos of the talks from this recent conference, right? Yes, that's right. Videos and CDs. Now you mentioned an interesting word, Slovakia. Speaking of Slovakia, we have some more interesting news, interesting developments, more action by the Holy Spirit in our church. <laughs> and that is the appointment of a new bishop for my particular eparchy, the Eparchy of Parma, which is in the Cleveland, Ohio area, but it takes in 12 states. It's the Midwest Diocese, which we call eparchies in the Eastern churches. It's the Midwest Diocese or Eparchy for our particular Byzantine Catholic Church in America. And we just received the mention, the, the naming of a new bishop for us, and he is from Slovakia. In fact, he's the auxiliary bishop of an eparchy in Preshov, Slovakia. His name is Bishop, now it would be Bishop Milan Lok, he, and he is a Jesuit. As I mentioned, he was already a bishop, he's auxiliary, but he has been named as the new bishop. Technically, Jack, the wording is he's the apostolic administrator, correct? That's right, yeah, he's he's not... Uh, the full bishop that will be enthroned and so forth, but I understand he has all the authority of a bishop uh, and he's administrator for some period of time, uh, you know, yet to be determined. And you know something about him, don't you? Yes, in fact, five, six years ago, when we did the second seminary concert tour with the seminarians from the Preshov Eparchy in Slovakia, he came for the first week of it with all the guys. He stayed here at my house before we got on our on our whirlwind trip and uh, traveled to, uh, oh, I don't know, a half a dozen or so parishes. He's very, very down-to-earth, very uh, humble, uh, very spiritual. He has a degree in spirituality, a doctorate from the Oriental Institute in Rome. 
Uh, he's a monastic, so he comes from a from that tradition of prayer and spirituality. And then two years ago, when I led a, a small pilgrimage to Slovakia and Hungary for the anniversary of the uh, Mariupoch icon, the miracle-working icon of Mariupoch, uh, we stopped in Preshov for, for a couple of days, and he served the Divine Liturgy for our little group in the uh, Chancery Chapel, and then uh, met us uh, the next day for dinner and took us to this wonderful little restaurant right in downtown Preshov, almost an underground sort of place. You had to climb down very steep steps, and it was called Mama's Kitchen. <laughs> and they had all sorts of cookware and things up on the wall, uh, copper <laughs> kettles and, and so forth, and the food was just exquisite. We had palachinki and rohi and all the things that go with it. Um, uh, so Bishop Milan is a, a, a wonderful young man. Uh, as as you I've said, he's only in his early 40s, so he's young enough to be our son. That's right. <laughs> well, we, uh, we certainly look forward to what the Holy Spirit has in store for us. And I want to make one more mention before we go. Speaking of Europe, I will be leading a pilgrimage, a retreat, to the Byzantine Catholic Chapel. That's right, the beautiful Byzantine Catholic Chapel in Fatima on the centennial celebration of the appearances at Fatima of the Mother of God to the children. And we're going to be giving you a lot more information about that over the next several programs. But if you want to find out about that right now, you can go to this website, laura at horizons at parma.org. That's laura at, meaning A-T, spelled A-T, laura at horizons at parma.org. Again, that's the Fatima trip, and that's going to be October 26th to November 2nd of this year. I'll be leading it, and so stay tuned for more information about that. And Jack, we're running out of time, but I want to thank you for being with us. We're going to have you on again and again, of course, because you're always full of some kind of marvelous accomplishments in this whole mission, the mission of our program here, your personal mission as a faithful Byzantine Catholic, that mission of unity in the church, especially between the two lungs of the church, east and west. Thank you, Jack, for being with us. Thank you, Father. It's been a pleasure. And thank all of you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. to life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. The church has 2,000 years of wisdom to share on what it takes to live life gracefully. We're so overwhelmed by how much our faith has transformed our marriage and family especially. We want everyone to experience the incredible gift that the Catholic vision of life and love really is. More to life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. Weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!